Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that was first shared on the podcast in January of 2012 by Mike Bledger. Here's Mike now with a story we call Bad Nanny. I was kind of a big deal in my preschool. Like, my mom went and met the teacher at one point. She was like, you're Mike's mom? Like, I was the man at that Jewish preschool. And I was very charismatic at that time. And I was athletic. I had swimming records and was the MVP of my soccer team. And all this lasted until I was about eight. At which point I broke my arm four times. <laughs> And, uh, and I got the flesh-eating disease at the end of it, too. But uh, at the end of it, I was 11 or 12 years old, 5 foot 1, and 200 pounds. So I was really fat, and I was really uh, lonely and sad. Instead of going through the sort of, like, burgeoning, flowering youth, I was going through, like, hot flashes of a middle-aged woman going, like, why am I falling apart and dying? <laughs> Maybe. And into this stepped my... Au pair from Afghanistan, uh, Farazana. She was a good cook, terrible citizen. I remember she would drive me to school and there would be traffic jams and she would, without thinking, drive right into the shoulder lane for miles, speeding. <laughs> and, and even at that time, I was pushed against the back of the car, looking out the window going like, they hate us! I think she was just used to getting what she wanted her whole life and just had not grown up at all. Like, she was a definitively non-Jewish American princess. I should say she was 31. I'm not, I don't want to, like, I don't want it to sound like she was, like, 16. Before I was at all sexual, I remember the men around me, in some way, talking about her as being sexy. She wore very tight clothing. Like spandex overalls. Where the fuck do you even get that? Olivia Newton-John store, I, I think. <laughs> and had, you know, long black flowing hair. And was just very well put together and, like, clearly exercised a lot. I'm sure I would still think she was attractive today. I knew she was immature. But I had experienced adults being immature. And that was not shocking to me. My sister and I thought... 
like crazy fights back then, were violent towards each other. But she didn't respond the way that a, a typical adult would. You know, if, if it was like we're at the mall or something, my sister's like, I'm going this way. And I'm like, I'm going that way. And then she'd just be like, well, I'm going over here. So, so, so she was just like a, another kid almost. But that, that was how she was. And she was very different, I should say, around my parents. I think she was a totally different person. With my parents, she was appeasing and sort of like bubbly and flowery and non-confrontational. So she and I fought a lot. And as I got older in this time, when I was like 11 and 12, the fights became, I think, more physical as well because I was also becoming more hormonal and these fights would get more heated. And one time... You know, I remember we were in, in the hallway, and she was, like, leaving, and I was like, no, you're not leaving, and she starts leaving, and I pull her, and she pulls forward and then pulls back, and then she falls back onto me, and I have an erection. She gets up, takes me by the hand, and leads me into my room, and then we do what I will later learn is called dry humping. So then she left. And I just stripped off all my clothes, turned on the shower to very hot, showered, got out of the shower, got back into the shower, and showered again. And that time I was crying. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, it's not like I feel violated. It's not like I feel that it is horrible what happened. But I just know that everything has changed. And the sort of irrevocability of that change is overwhelming to me. And the knowledge that I now have a colossal secret is very much weighing on my shoulders. I decided at that moment that I wasn't going to tell my family about this because I knew even then, that the kind of attention that this kind of thing would bring was not good. And not only would it make my family unhappy, it would make me unhappy and it would make my parents feel like they had somehow failed to protect me in some kind of way. And I just didn't think that it, it, it should be on them. So that happened and then... Uh, it happened again, you know, that same kind of thing started happening, I don't know, once every couple of weeks. I don't, I don't know, it's all very splintered, the memories of childhood. But I, I remember one time we were sitting in the car outside of choir camp, <laughs> for lack of a better word, the Lillian School of Music. And, uh, and she's basically giving me a handjob, and she's also comparing my dick to the dick of her estranged husband. <laughs> and even at the time, I'm like, this is not good form. This was not a mature human being, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the other thing is that, like, we only had sex. Really, sex. Intercourse. The once. If you could call it that. What it was, was she basically took me, pulled me into her, I immediately came, and then ran into the other room. <laughs> I think that it was a very complicated relationship because I'd known this person for a while and I was like, this woman is crazy. Even then I knew. And she would like, when we had like sort of 
mild physical, you know, altercations in public. Not like sexual stuff, but sort of like just like fighting. And then she would go like, off scream rape! And I think she tried to convince me to not, like, tell people by saying that on occasion. And I was like, look, I'm not telling anyone, but that's not why. Like, I'm 12 and I know you're the bad guy. I mean, I was pretty sensible for all of the fucked up shit that was going on. <laughs> uh, like, it was, the, the, the sexual interactions were, I mean, I, I, it felt good. I, look, kids, if you're at home, sex feels great. <laughs> <laughs> But man, it, it was the most compulsive sort of experience I can describe in my life. I felt so out of control uh, with my behavior uh, and so torn by this pull to get that rush while at the same time so repulsed by the situation around it. It's like there was Sober Mike and Drunk Mike, or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. And I knew that I, as Dr. Jekyll Mike, needed to get the situation away so that I would not become Mr. Hyde again. And also because I just, you know, I knew the longer that this went on and the more sneaking around that was going on, the more likely that this would erupt in some kind of way or that people would find out. And I just did not want that to happen. I wanted it to be done and in the past. And so what I started to do was build a case against this woman to my parents. I just made a case that I was independent and my sister was off at college and that this was no longer necessary. And she and I didn't really get along. You know, and, and this was all while everything else was still going on. And eventually they were like, all right, well, we'll get rid of her and get a maid. And you're, you're right. You are old enough. <laughs> so she went off her, her own way. And I, and I remember very specifically my bar mitzvah. For some reason, my bar mitzvah, which is at the beginning of my seventh grade year, I just remember being there and there was this weight that was off my shoulders. <laughs> that, I, you know, it was ironic that becoming a man in the Jewish faith was when I was like, all right, I can be a kid. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> I told a couple friends later on in life, if they're a couple years or something like that, and invariably the responses were always like, yeah, and me being like, no. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, oh, you don't get that this was not okay. But, yeah, I mean, now I am a very sexual person. And I certainly began my exploration at some point after that. In a way, I am lucky to have benefited from such a complex experience at such a young age. And, you know, this was terrible. But it was also very compelling. Uh, and I, that doesn't justify it, you know, because it could have gone the other way very easily. But my response to this, my, my evolutionary, you know, adaptation was comedy and to find the joy in the terrible things. I like that my brain's response to this was to then see everything as two-sided you know, I, I mean, I just, I do feel lucky that uh, I am able to see the world in, in those terms and be okay with that.
that is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.